Good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I was thinking as we were singing those songs, and I looked at the words, you know, and there's no doubt that some of the songs that we sing, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. These writers, we know that those words could not have come of a person unless the Holy Spirit was helping them. And, you know, I think back to when I was a kid, and I look back at these children, and I think back when I was in church at that age, and I've never known a time when I didn't believe in God. That didn't mean I got saved, but I always have believed in God. And when I think about people today that are living in this world, and they have no hope, they don't believe in God. They don't really believe in anything. You know, I think how hopeless and empty that life has to be because I've always had hope in God. I've always believed in Him. And I don't know what it would be like to not believe in God and how empty that must feel. And I mean, what do people have to live with if all they're living for is just what they can see and touch? And that's it. That's their only hope that they have. But we today... We have hope because we know God. We believe in Him. And we know that we're His children. And it's so different, isn't it, for the people who believe like us. We've got something to hope in, you know, believe in. No matter what happens in our life, we've still got hope because we believe in a God who is able. That's why, to me, when we sing songs like that, it's like they touch your heart. Because these people that wrote those songs, they believed in God. They trusted God. And they had to have had some insight from God to be able to write such songs. You know, 1 John 3 and 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Deed and truth. I think back to almost 20 years ago now. Uh, Pastor Steve Albanetti and myself went to a pastor's conference over in Jackson, Tennessee. And I was sitting there with Brother Steve, and I looked through the brochure. And this man that was going to speak, I mean, he had a pedigree you know, of knowledge that all kind of uh, studies he had been in, seminaries he had been in. And I said, wow, this guy's got some education. You know, he's, he's got a lot to say. And he got up to speak, and he said, if God doesn't show up, I'm sunk. And I thought, with all the knowledge this guy has now, and he knows that he has nothing to say unless God gives him something to say. And you know, I don't remember anything else that man said. <laughs> Almost 20 years, I forgot everything he said, but I hadn't forgot that. <laughs> because that is so true. If God doesn't show up, I mean... What can we do? You know? And that's what we pray for, and that God will show up in our service, and he will do something in our hearts that only he can do. Sure, I, I can speak, but if the Holy Spirit's not working in our heart, then I might as well close the Bible and go home right now. But it's the Holy Spirit that's taking what we hear and then applying it in our life, and then what in the end of our life, hopefully we will glorify God by the life that we live. Isn't that what we really want, is to glorify God in the end, is that he will be pleased with our life. So when you think about that scripture, that we 
think about deed and truth. That's what's really important in our life. It's, you know, you've heard people tell you that they love you, but there's no outward you know, evidence of that. And then you have people that, you know, they may never tell you that they love you. But indeed, you know that they do. Because of the things that they do, you know down in their heart that they do love you. There's a lot of difference in it than just speaking it from the mouth and it really being true. So a lot of people, they don't say, I love you much. Some don't say it at all. And yet you know that they really do down deep. You see, it's not that that we spend the greatest amount of time that moves us the most, but it is that which we love the most that moves us the most. And when it is love, that is what is molding us into the person that we are. Now, when Peter had Jesus come to his house, Jesus was speaking to Peter, but he was looking at the woman that was knelt before him. He was looking at what she was doing. I'm pretty sure it was Mary Magdalene. I'm not positive, and many people believe it was Mary Magdalene whom he cast out seven evil spirits. But he said, Peter, when I entered your house, you gave no, no water for my feet. But this woman... She has washed my feet with her tears, and she has wiped my feet with her hair. Simon, when I entered your house, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has failed not to kiss my feet consistently. Simon, you fail to anoint my feet or my head with oil, but this woman has not failed to anoint my feet with ointment. This woman whose sins are many have been forgiven for she loved much. She's been forgiven much and she loves much. Those who have been forgiven little loveth little. You know, I think those words stayed with Peter because what he saw that woman doing, he realized she was doing it in humility. She was doing it to someone that she loved dearly. And it was a lesson to Peter that the Lord was teaching him about humility. Remember when he took the cloth and the water and he washed the feet of the disciples and he said, what I do now, you do not know, but one day you will. Well, that was all about humility when he bowed there before each one of those disciples and washed their feet, their dirty feet. They didn't have shoes on like you have. <laughs> they had sandals and their feet were dirty and Jesus washed those dirty feet. And he was showing humility to them that later they would learn how to be humble as he was. Humility is the key. Love is the key to serving the Lord. And you'll notice the people that he used were humble people and they were people that loved him. When you think of Paul, who was alias Saul, Paul said, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time or an unturned, 
untimely birth or aborted. So Paul is looking at himself as a child that's been aborted that has no name. And he was a latecomer. He didn't get to see the things that the other disciples saw as Jesus was teaching them through those three years. He didn't get to see Jesus after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. He was not there. And so he looked at himself as that aborted child that Johnny come lately. And so that's why he made the statement that he did, and last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time or an untimely birth or aborted. Was Paul, because of that, less than all the other apostles? No way. In fact, he was probably used greater than any of the other apostles because he ushered in the dispensation of grace because the church age was now coming into being. And so God revealed through Paul mysteries that had been hidden to the other apostles. Dispensation of grace, and he would reveal to him also the full gospel. He didn't reveal that to the other apostles, but he did to Paul the apostle because in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, he reveals the very death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, which the others did not. And he was even responsible partly for the Reformation that took place because who was reading the epistles of Paul and realized that the penance that he was doing didn't mean a thing because he was reading scripture out of the Pauline apostles like Romans 5 and 20 where sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abound. He read like Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here's Martin Luther, who is a monk, who believes he has to do penance going up and down the stairs in order to pay for the sins that he has committed. And all of a sudden, he's reading Romans. He's reading Galatians. He's reading Ephesians. And he realizes it's not of works. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price of sin. They already paid for. What am I doing? And so the great reformation began to take place because Martin Luther was reading Pauline apostles about grace. And his whole eyesight was open. He saw clearly then, as we see today because we've read the Pauline apostles, we know what they say about grace, what they say about mercy, about the forgiveness of sins. And you don't have to go up and down stairs, you know, repenting for what you did, giving penance for the sins that you've committed or I've committed because they've already been paid for. <laughs> On the cross, they were atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So even Peter alluded to Paul's wisdom which is given of God, when he said in Second Peter, Peter 3 and 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, 
hath written unto you. So he realized himself how important it was that these epistles that Paul wrote were overlapping what the other apostles had had. It didn't take away from any of the things that God had given to the other apostles. They were all important. All the scripture is important, inspired of the Holy Spirit, but these overlap with the dispensation of grace. There was another, uh, much like Paul, a latecomer, and his name was Moses. And if you remember, and uh, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read just a few scriptures out of Exodus chapter chapter 2 and verse 11, Exodus 2 and 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out into his brethren and looked on their burdens and spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. So Moses had come to the place where he realized these Hebrews, that was his people, not the Egyptians. And in verse 12, and he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw that there were no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was protecting the Hebrew children. In verse 13, and when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard the thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now with pride he slew that Egyptian. But 40 years from the backside of the desert in Midian, he was humble. He realized what humility was. And so when God appeared to him in the burning bush, he knew something was going on he'd never seen before because how could a bush burn and burn and burn and not burn up? So he was seeing something that was going on that was beyond man's ability it was only God's ability. And God revealed to him his plan when standing there before the burning bush and he was on holy ground as God revealed to him that he was going to deliver the Jews from Egyptian captivity and Moses would be a part of that. But to show you how far Moses had come down from his pride to humility in chapter 4 and verse 10 and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, or in other words, a man of words, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, for I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. His tone has changed, isn't he? He no longer sees himself worthy to do this thing that God has called him to do. But the Lord said this to him, and the Lord said unto him, verse 11, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, what? Go. 
Therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And do you know he says that to every one of us? Just go and I will be with thy mouth. I'll teach you what to say. And so we realize Moses made a big change, didn't he? When he went from thinking he could do it himself until later he realized after being a shepherd, he was humbled and now he was ready. He had actually been able to shepherd those sheep and now God was calling him to shepherd the Hebrew children. A big step, but he had to learn this before he could do that. And so even Paul the Apostle, you know what he said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, For I am the least of the apostles that I'm not meet or fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. How did Paul see himself? The least of all. He was a humble man before God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he had come down a long ways to where he was from persecuting the church of Christ to being a servant of Christ and humbling himself. It seems as though those who seem less likely to be used by God to fulfill his will were those who were first humbled and their circumstances then they realized it was nothing of themselves, but it was all of God. It's not of me, but it's of he that is within me. It's not of you, but it's he that is within you. It makes you capable to carry out his will. God told Moses what in 4 and 12 is go. So we realize this. He tells us in Romans 8 and 37 and in Luke 18 and 27. Luke 18 and 27 says that what is impossible with man is possible with God. When we pray, we realize that those prayers are asking of God who is able to bring healing to those people. It is through the prayers we see God work when someone is healed. 8 and 37, we realize that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Is there anything bigger than God? No. We're more than conquerors. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 
and base things or ordinary things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. In other words, the people today that see us, a people of faith, they think of us that we're out in left field. They look at the things that are, the things they can see and the things they can touch. We look to the things that we cannot touch, we cannot see. So they look at us as we're not like them. And so the things that are not now, the things of faith, will become the things that are one day. And the things that are will one day become nothing. Those things that people are trusting in now, the things will become nothing to them. They'll be worthless to them. They'll burn up in the fire. And so they're going to be reversed. We're a people of faith. And now the things which are not are going to become the things that are further down the road. And that's what faith is all about, isn't it? Believing in something that we cannot see. That's what I believe the scripture is talking about. And why is this? Verse 29 tells us why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Why does he not choose those, like in verse 26, not many wives, not many after the flesh and men that are many that are mighty, not many noble. Doesn't say that those are not called. It just says not many of them are called. But most of the time it's those that are ordinary people that God uses. And why does he use those people of faith? In order that no flesh will glory in his presence. In verse thirty, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of these things are of God. It's not our righteousness, is it? It's a, those are as filthy rags before him. But it's his righteousness that he has input into us. It's sanctification, being set apart from the world, set apart to God. It's his sanctification. It's his righteousness. It's his wisdom that he gives. And then verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Look at uh, chapter 4 as you read on. Look at verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou did not receive? Now if thou did receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou had not received it? Or why do you boast as if you had not received it? So you see how that goes with verse 31 of chapter 1. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Because what do we have that we did not receive? Nothing. Anything that we have or that we are all came from God. So there's no boasting of any of us about anything. We can't boast when it was given to us in the first place. And that's why all glory always goes to God. Every time. Somebody may say, hey, Brother Joe, that was a good sermon. Glory goes to God because he's the one that gives it and he's the one that uses us. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, could he have given? Yes, he was a very wise man. He could have done it from up here. 
But he knew better because the next verse tells it. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and what? Him crucified. That's all he was going to tell them. Because what he had, this wisdom that he had, the knowledge that he has, didn't amount to a hill of beans if he didn't preach this verse. I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary, that no flesh should glory in his presence. When Paul the Apostle prayed that the Lord would remove his infirmity, he prayed three times for that infirmity to be removed. But what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient unto thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What did Paul say? In my weakness I am what? Made strong. So you see how God works in us? It's in our weakness that we see the strength of God. We know we're not capable of it, but we know God in us is capable. So these words of wisdom that Paul is teaching here, we realize how important it is to always give God the glory for anything and everything, even for what we have today. If you're healthy today, give God thanks for the health that Charles was giving God thanks a while ago when he prayed. Yes, we give God thanks for those things, but realize sometimes there will be trouble, as it was with Paul, and God did not heal that infirmity. And I've had people question me, you know, about why didn't God heal me? I've prayed, I believe. So is something wrong? Why is not answering my prayer? I said, if he didn't answer the Apostle Paul's prayer, there was a reason he didn't do it, and it was to keep him humble. Of all the revelations that Paul the Apostle received, God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble so that he would take no praise for himself. And he stayed humble the whole time. So God always has a reason that he doesn't answer prayer. He always has a reason why he does answer prayer. And sometimes God is the only one that knows. He doesn't tell anybody why he doesn't heal. That's up to him. But we always pray that he will. And hopes, our hope is that he will. You know, when the Lord sent Samuel down to pick a king from the sons of Jesse, he had the man pass before him. First one was Eliab. Eliab was the oldest of Jesse's sons. He was going to pick a king to follow King Saul. And when Samuel looked on Eliab, he thought, surely this must be he. He's the oldest. He should be the first one to be king. He looks like a king. And he said in uh, 1 Samuel 16 and 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In man's eyes, this was it. But what did God say? First Samuel 16 and 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord saith not as man saith, for man looketh as on the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looketh on the heart. <laughs> so what God sees and what man sees sometimes are 180 degrees. The life looked like a king. And those that followed looked like king material. But all seven sons passed before him. And what did Samuel say? Are these all of your sons? Well, no, there's the youngest. He's out keeping the sheep. So you know what Jesse thought. He's surely not a candidate. He's the youngest one. And he said, Samuel said, bring him. And so when he brought him, First uh, Samuel 13 says, arise, him, arise, anoint him, for this is he. The Lord hath, the, uh, uh, no, that First Corinthians 13 is where it says that the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. You know, uh, it's only said of one man in the Bible that I found that David was a man after his own heart. God saw something in him that the others did not see. When you read the Psalms, you read Psalms 23, you know where they came from, don't you? It was David. When you read some of those Psalms, you realize the humility that David had and the repentance that he had about what he had done with Bathsheba and Uriah. Broke his heart that he had sinned against God that way. And I don't think he ever got over it. And you read in those Psalms, you see how broken he was. And you see how greatly God used him. And when you see how that God chose a man and used him in such a way, you know that he's able to use any one of us if that is his desire. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 8 and 12 says, If there first be a willing mind, it is set according that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. When Peter denied Christ, not only once, but three times, Jesus came back to him after the resurrection. He asked him one question. It wasn't, Peter, will you be faithful? Peter, will you not deny me again? No, the one question was, Peter, do you love me? Three times, and I think one for every time that he had denied him. Peter, do you love me? Remember how when we started out in Luke 7, where the woman was there, and she was at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said to Peter, came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet with this woman has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair Peter I entered your house you gave me no kiss and this woman has continually kissed my feet Peter I entered your house and you anointed not my head with oil but this woman have anointed my feet with ointment But she have been forgiven much, and she loved much. 
Peter could now identify with that woman because he had denied Christ three times. And now his heart was broken. He knew why that woman loved Jesus so much. And now he had been forgiven and he loved Jesus Christ much. He was never the same. I can identify with that. I've been forgiven much, and I love him much. You can identify with that woman also. You can identify with Peter also because you've been forgiven much, and you love him with all your heart. Makes a lot of difference, doesn't it, when we look at it in that light and realize how much Jesus loves us that he's willing to die on a cross to pay the price of our sin. You know, I think of some of the people that the Lord chose. I think of John the Baptist. And here's a man that who would have chosen to be the forerunner of Christ but our Lord himself. A man that wore what? Camel's hair for his clothing. He wasn't dressed like us. A man who is not going to go home and sit down before a nice lunch, but he had locusts and honey for his lunch. A man who lived in the wild. And yet Jesus said of him, of those born of woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here's a man that never performed a miracle. Here's a man that never healed anybody. Here's a man that never raised anybody from the dead. Here's a man that never cast out any demons. And yet, the Lord said, there's none greater than him. He didn't say one of his apostles who had done all of these things was greater, but he chose this one who had done none of those things and yet called him the greatest. And he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see how level the ground is with the Lord? Because he's going to receive the glory. John the Baptist was an exceptional man. He was afraid of nothing. He was not afraid of death. He was not afraid of man. He had no fear whatsoever. He confronted Herod and Tospas and told him that he had sinned. He needed to repent because he had took his half-brother Philip's wife as his own. Was he afraid because he was Herod? No. He would stand before anybody and tell them they had sinned. And to repent, he was a bold man and God used him greatly. And he had none of the things that other people have. Just like Jesus. Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. John the Baptist was the same way. And yet he became a martyr. And yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Can you figure God out? <laughs> God has his ways, doesn't he? And he reveals the humility 
that he desires of every one of us to have. If you look at James chapter 2 and verse 1, James 2 and verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons? Verse 2. For if there come into your assembly a man with gold ring, goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts. Elevate one, put down the other, because of their outward appearance. And why did he choose David? Not by his outward appearance, right? But his heart. We can't see the heart of the people that come through that door, can we? We can only look on the outward, but the Lord looks on the inward. Hearken. Verse 5, or in other words, pay attention, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that what? Love him. Those that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. It's not what appears on the outward, is it? That he's trying to reveal to us. If you think about what the Jews were expecting when Jesus Christ was born, they were looking for somebody to come in royalty, born in a palace. They were looking for someone whose appearance would be like a Hollywood movie star. But you know what? Jesus didn't have any of these things. He was born in a stable in Bethlehem. And his earthly parents were just common, ordinary people. If you were to walk by Jesus then when he was with his disciples, you wouldn't have really noticed any appearance that would have been different from him and the other disciples. But there was something about him that people sensed. There was something they felt when they were in his presence. That's what touched their heart is they knew that this one was different. He had love in his heart like Nobody they had ever known. There was a reason why Jesus came the way that he did. A humble person before them. Now when we see Jesus come back, he won't look like that. He'll be glorified. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Even those that have rejected him, they're going to bow to their judge 
But those of us that have received him, we're going to bow to him. But he's going to be our Lord, our master, our king, our savior. When you think about the people that have influenced your life the most, think about this. It is not the wealthy, those of great intelligence, or the prominent that usually impact our lives the most, but the ordinary whose love changed our lives. What was it, 1 John 3 and 18? My little children, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. I think about the people through my life that influenced my life for the good. I go all the way back to when I was in a little fella, like that little one back there on the back row, my Sunday school teacher, teaching me elementary things about the Bible. I loved that Sunday school teacher. She loved me. She loved all those kids. That's what stood out about her. And she had so much of the love of Jesus in her. And she just spread it out on those little kids. I remember that. She influenced me as a little bitty thing. I think about my mother. Who gave of herself for her six little children. Often she did without clothes and other things. So that we would have them. Why did she do that? Because she loved us. Ordinary woman. Didn't know a whole lot about about the Bible. She knew enough of it to teach us the things we needed to know. She knew enough of it to live a godly life in front of us. She lived enough of it to reveal Jesus Christ living in her. I think about two of my uncles. They were truck drivers. Just regular men who loved Jesus with all their heart. My Uncle Vince who knew more scripture than most people I've ever known. My Uncle Nutsy, who when he prayed, it would be like Moses standing by the burning bush. You always felt the presence of God when that man prayed. He was an ordinary man. And yet they so influenced my life because they lived out what was inside of them. Ordinary people living a life that touched the younger people that were around them. I think about my aunts. How much I miss my aunts. I love my aunts. They love me. They were precious to me. I miss them every day. Because you know why? They love me. And they showed that love. And they made a difference in my life because of that love. Ordinary people like you and I just living out what's inside of us. Sure, I have learned a lot from a lot of the theologians that I study. I learned a lot about these teachers that have taught things through their writings that have helped me tremendously. But the people who have affected me the most have been those people that have loved me since I was little all the way up. And they never stopped loving me to the day that they died and they were put in the grave they still love me and show that love. How can we make a difference in this world? Is by loving people that are around us, 
Yes, sometimes it's the little ones. Sometimes it's people that are in their teens. Sometimes it's people that are in the middle age. Sometimes it's older people. But God has called us not to be a respecter of persons, to love the unworthy, unlovable, and unresponsive, to love them all. Because one of the ladies that, the ladies that made, a, made a big impact in my life was my mother-in-law when I got married to my wife. And you know what? I was just back from the service. My heart had been hardened. It was like I had no feelings anymore. They were gone. And this woman, who I never showed any respect to, I was not kind to, I was not nice to, she just kept on loving me. Every time she saw me, she would hug me and kiss me and tell me she loved me. If she called on the phone, of course, we didn't have ID then. You know, I didn't know who it was. I'd answer the phone and be her, and I wanted to get off as soon as I could. But you know what? She kept loving me. Love never faileth. She came to live in our house the last year of her life. She had cancer. She's 57 years old. And you know what? That love started reversing. I started loving her because she had loved me. And I couldn't stop what God was doing in my heart. She was chipping away at the ice around my heart. She just kept on loving me. And finally, I started loving her. I hadn't been saved yet. It'd be several years before I got saved. But I realized what unconditional love was. It didn't matter what I said to her or did to her. She just kept loving me. And I knew that was not a love that I was accustomed to. I knew my mama loved me. <laughs> I knew that. But here's a woman that I didn't know that still loved me no matter what. When she died, I cried. And I'm an old Marine, hard, <laughs> but I was soft as you get. When she passed away, I was standing right there with her and tears running down my face. Because she had done something in my heart. Just an ordinary woman. She kept little kids in her nursery, in her own house. A housewife. She didn't know a lot about the Bible, but she had the love of Christ in her. And I saw that years later, I got saved. And partially because of what I saw in that woman was real. Do you know people are looking for?